Hello, and welcome to the Future Podcast, episode number nine. My name is Jeremy Bulleris, and every single week I sit down with a guest and we talk about technology trends and where the future might take us. In this episode, I talk with Kaylin Gray. It's the second time on the podcast, and in this episode, we talk about how consumer behavior will change because of the pandemic lockdown, how companies will react, and what we think they'll do in the future, and we then hop into the simulation conversation. So let's get into it. All right, so I'm here with Kalen Gray for his second episode of the Future Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. So today we're going to kind of get into more relevant topics of what's going on with the whole uh, shutdown thing and how things are going to change um, and what, what we think are going to be lasting behaviors for consumers, companies. And then towards the end of the podcast, we're going to hop into this whole simulation conversation. Um, so let's get right into it. First question um, is, how do you think the life of consumers will change after? Well, what are some of the key things that have changed since people have been on lockdown? And what do you think are going to be some of the behaviors that are going to change or or remain the same um, when and if we, we get out of this lockdown situation? Yeah, so for me, I know like when I go inside of a store, it's just a lot of the small small changes that's everywhere. So you go through a drive-through, it's like plexiglass covering half the drive-through window. There was little pieces of tape on the floor telling everyone to stay six feet apart. And to me, I feel like that's the kind of stuff that would stick around. It's just it's just the small things. A lot of the small things that kind of add up. Mm. So do you think that people will? Um you know, stay a bit further apart um, and try to have a different approach on hygiene after for a while? Or do you think that that will be kind of a long lasting effect? Well, I know for me personally, I've been washing my hands a ridiculous amount Mm -hmm. and it's just become a habit. And so talking hygiene, I think, yes, with hand washing, Mm -hmm. that'll totally be changed. And then staying apart, I think that'll be kind of the thing where unless it's enforced, Mm -hmm. I think it'll kind of, I think it'll stick around for the next you know, I guess year maybe, and then people will kind of start getting closer together because, mm-hmm. you know, it's just going to, you have a lot of younger kids who don't understand it. And so mm-hmm. they're going to kind of grow up into that generation of just kind of back after, I guess, if you were to look at the Spanish flu, mm-hmm. people immediately after began to kind of forget about what had happened yeah. and they just returned to normal life. And so I kind of fear that's that's kind of what's going to kick back in here. I, I have a, a few, not necessarily theories, but I think if it's not, if it's a very, first off, I, I think my view on the whole like situation, it might be very different from other people's because what's being painted in the mainstream media is not necessarily entirely the truth of, of what's going on. Um, so I think that if there's actually substantial effects of it going on and and for a long time, then I think the effects um, and and that fear and and the habits might be um, inherited by future generations. And that's when I think some of those things might be a bit more permanent, the way people's actions change. Um, But I think if it's not as big of a deal as, you know, you know, the, if it's not as bad as it could have gone or, yeah, I just don't think that uh, over the long term people are going to stick with that. I think for a while people might be scared and, and stay with a lot of you know distancing habits or, or whatever. But um, but I don't think that'll stay for over the long term. 
So yeah, I think that long term, if anything comes out of this, hopefully it has to do with the medical field, getting more of an idea of what to be prepared for. Obviously, we were not prepared. Mm -hmm. When you have to have companies stepping in and even individuals stepping in to make extreme donations, which is always good, but at, at this extent, it's it's ridiculous that we were not prepared for this. We've had HIV, we've had swine flu, we've had SARS. I mean, we've had so many, um, so many kind of previews as to what was going to happen here. We knew it was going to happen. I know there was a TED talk Bill Gates did where he literally, you know, predicted this entire thing. He said it's coming, but we weren't prepared. And so, if anything, for future outlook, I hope that. We're more prepared because this is definitely not going to be the last pandemic we're going to experience. Yeah, um, I don't know if we should get deep into this, but I have a bit of a different view on how things occurred. Um, I'm not like I've gotten a lot of information from a lot of different places, so. I don't know how much of it is true, but I know there's a few things that are true, but are, are, are truths that people don't necessarily want to know and that the mainstream media isn't painting. But we can get into it a bit if, if you want. Yeah, go ahead. Well, it's kind of disturbing, but it's kind of a fact that the world is run by a very small group of people that are kind of in the shadows. They're not necessarily public personas, but it's, it's kind of like this big pyramid and the people at the very top are, yeah, they, they kind of live in the shadows, but kind of the most powerful people, whether we they're public figures or not, are kind of like these Satanists and pedophiles. I know it's kind of a weird thing, but it's, yeah. And um, what, I didn't, what I think is going on is that it's not necessarily, the pandemic is, something that China developed and the U.S. helped fund it during Obama's run. Um, and they knew that this was going to come over, whether they were going to make money with um, vaccines or not. Their whole goal of these globalists and yeah, the, the Chinese communists are to have ultimate control over their population and the way that they censor and allow people to have and say certain things but won't let you say other things in the media is all like crafted by this group of people. So I think it's this narrative that's being painted that Trump is a bad guy and he let all this happen. But, you know, I think he's being surrounded by a lot of fraudulent people and, and criminals and people that are really messed up and really want to tear the country apart. Um, but, but he's doing the best that he can. But, but I think the whole thing is definitely a man-made that, that was brought upon us and is being blown up in the media. But I almost think that, you know, coronavirus is real, but I think COVID-19 is not what people think it is. Um, there's a lot of people that die every day and from a lot of different things. Um, so far, according to, you know, studies with uh, California, they estimate that over 450,000 people probably had coronavirus, if not more. Or COVID nineteen, um, but their death is what the death. The number of deaths is what uh, you know hasn't increased. So that brings the 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 death. The number of you know percentage of death for the amount of people that get it to below one percent. Um, I think it was like point one six percent. 
But I think also that they haven't isolated the virus itself. There's this method called Cox postulates, which has been used in uh, the medical field for uh, quite a while. It's been the gold standard for isolating disease and, and understanding how it affects people. And But you have to isolate the virus, and there's a whole process to it. But we haven't isolated COVID-19 or what they call for it. So the way we test for it is through... A, a few different ways, but we test for genetic material, which isn't necessarily COVID-19. That's what they're calling it. And a lot of the people that are behind this are saying, if you die, um, it could be from a heart attack from anything, regardless of if it's from those things, if you would have tested positive for this genetic material, which they're calling COVID-19, then they're saying that's a COVID-19 death. So they can kind of control the amount of deaths that there are just by uh, how they actually measure. Um, and the way they, they test for this genetic material uh, happens in these rounds of amplification. So if they can, the, the, like the WHO or whoever's directing how they test for it will say, um, you know, how many rounds of amplification you need. And if they, they could change that anytime and it, they'll be able to identify more or less people that, that have COVID-19. So I just, I think that it's not what we think it is. I don't think it's a deadly virus and the, the numbers are kind of proving that the numbers that are coming out. So I think it's this fake narrative that's being painted in the media. And, but the thing is we don't know the long-term effects of it. So there could be you know, they say it attacks male reproduction or reproductive organs and that sort of thing. So in, in terms of that aspect, I, I don't know how it works. And I know that Bill Gates's father was on the board of Plan, Planned Parenthood and his mother was part of um, on the board of IBM, which is tied to cold, uh, the Cold Springs Harbor. And um, IBM in those days were funding Hitler's operations. So I know they were all about uh, population control and that sort of thing. So. Um, yeah, I think it's a much scarier picture, but it's not really one that if you're an optimist, you, you want to think about, but I think it's, it's definitely not what the media is painting, you know? Yeah, it, it's certainly in, in a very interesting narrative to build off of. Mm -hmm. And I personally try not to step in and give opinions on something I haven't done a ton of research on. Mm -hmm. Obviously this specific, um, topic isn't something I've looked into a lot of, I, you know, you hear about China and their potential involvement in it. Mm -hmm. um, I try to kind of hang loose on politics, I'll be honest with you. Yep. But, you know, it's, I don't, I don't think we'll ever know everything, obviously, like, that, that goes on behind the scenes. And so it's, it's definitely an interesting kind of speculation to have. Mm -hmm. um, it's not improbable. I personally don't, don't believe that. I'm sure there's more going on in the background than we know. But um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely interesting how deep you could go on the kind of theories you could write up on, you know, it's a virus, but where did it come from? Is it uh, China telling the truth? China's had a sketchy past, so how do we know to trust them? And you could go on and on. It's just, it's just really interesting how far you could go. Yeah. Um, but. What is for certain though is that obviously most of the world is on lockdown and that's changed the way people behave. So, um, but yeah, I, I think that um, depending on how many, you know, they say that there's gonna be multiple rounds of this thing. So who knows if people are on lockdown for a while, that might change the way people live for quite a while, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, 
the long-term effects, I don't think we've really had a chance to fully absorb just, you know, the effect this is going to have. The Spanish flu had massive effects. Mm -hmm. Some are still um, reverberating today that we're still experiencing and just thinking about how this all started out, how small it was and just how big it's grown. Mm -hmm. It's just incredible to think about how in a hundred years, this will be a solid part in history that we'll be looking back on. Mm -hmm. There's also, um, you know, I think it's a very interesting uh, position to be in for a lot of the people that are in charge of this because at the same time, yes, a lot of people have to be on lockdown as well, but I think some of those people have to also balance the fact that a lot of people will starve and, and maybe more people will starve than the actual death toll from COVID-19. So I think it's very, a lot of very hard decisions are being made. Um, so we don't know exactly how the, the approach will be taken in terms of uh, going back to whatever could be normal. Um, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely interesting. And I know some people aren't a fan of how quote unquote scientists calling the shots in mm -hmm. the White House. Mm -hmm. Personally, I take the point of view that scientists kind of give their scientific research on that. They give their predictions, their estimates, they hand that off to the political officials and they can make the decision. So mm -hmm. I like that I personally am a fan of the three phase plan that the White House put out. And I think, yeah, kind of slowly easing back. Obviously, we're going to have a spike of cases. That's testing as we get on people back into the mix, which we have to have to support the economy. Mm -hmm. Can't keep putting money all night and day. I know they want to, but. So we, we really have to get back here soon. So, yeah, I'm really curious to see how that's going to play out, too. I know some states have taken it upon themselves to go back as soon as possible. And that's been kind of looked down upon because it's a huge risk. Mm -hmm. um, but it's definitely going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I think the approach also that, I mean, that these people surrounding Trump, um, like Dr. Fauci and Burks, um, who are uh, advising him on certain things, I, I like that. Donald has a, a bit of a, um, you know, he kind of calls the the end. He has the final say, but um, the thing is, a lot of these people can be manipulated. And uh, I think we, in our last episode, we talked about kind of an AI government, didn't we, or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I just think that a lot, there's like a whole lot of corruption going on there. So they might not be giving their true you know, what they, what they should be doing for pro-human and they're saying it for things that are more in their vested interest. Um, but only, yeah, well, time will tell what, what happens there. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Kind of like I said, where I don't think we'll ever get the full kind of Story. view as what's happening and what's happening behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. We're definitely having something personally. I feel like originally Dr. Fauci said that there would be about 200,000 deaths in America. Mm -hmm. Um, just America alone that blew everyone away. Mm -hmm. And so I think they overplayed the possibilities. Mm -hmm. And then, so they basically um, over uh, under promised and over delivered. So they said, Hey, um, we think there'll be a lot of deaths, mm -hmm. but we actually managed to undercut it. And now we're sitting at about 50,000. And so I think that's something that they did, not a huge deal, but yeah, I don't think we're getting the full snippet on what's going on. 
another thing is with computer models, I mean, they, it's so hard to have the proper data to have a, a computer model um, that is anywhere near accurate. But the thing is, if you're a government consultant and they're asking you to come up with models, um, they want you to come up with something that can be the most, like, for example, let's say that is it's totally a lot of it is corrupt and um it's run by some parts of china and they want to they, they want to shut down the economy or, or tear down america they're going to want to have people that come up with models that look absolutely ridiculous so that they can shut down the country or have a reason to do so um you know so if it is a, a corrupt thing then it would make sense for them to have people that come up with models like that um but yeah, I mean, if they're totally honest models, I don't know how they could come up with super accurate things without having a lot of data. So it's really hard to tell. Yeah, it'll be it'll be certainly interesting. And, you know, we're only so far into it now. I think looking back maybe one or two years when this is hopefully totally gone by, depending on how it all plays out, mm-hmm. just to see exactly how accurate we were on the predictions. And maybe we can get a better sense of that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I, I think it would be great to have a lot more transparency um, going into the future because I think a lot of things do get covered up and we never really find out what happens, but it, it'd be cool to see kind of a, a clear picture of what really went on. Um, yeah, at some point anyway. Um, kind of the second topic we want to get into is what companies would really benefit from uh, this, you know, I gave some predictions in the previous episode and kind of on Twitter of what would happen to automotive companies. And obviously we've seen um, the government put uh, stimulus money into the system so that the stock market uh, <laughs> would have a little boost there. So some companies haven't gone, you know, I mean, uh, automotive companies haven't gone necessarily bankrupt, but I, I did say that uh, Tesla would get a nice boost, and they've been doing pretty well, um, as well as, you know, oil's been kind of going in the in the crapper, so what are your oil views? A whole nother, wow, yeah, that's just, that's a podcast in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, what do you think are going to be some of the companies, whether it's an automotive or an other parts of the spectrum that are going to be faded away because they just weren't moving with the landscape. Um, over the past decade, we've been um, encouraged to start a lot more service-based businesses as well, which would serve it, which would suffer a lot more in a lot of cases in this type of situation. So, what kind of companies do you see really thriving this time and going forward? And what do you see as some of the companies that are going to be most effective negatively? Yeah, so I think for sure this just goes to show that every company, if it wants to stay alive in a pandemic or any similar situation, needs to have some kind of online um, source for its sales and its income. So mm-hmm. you have restaurants, um, you know, that maybe don't even have a drive-through. A drive-through is a really handy thing to have right now. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have that. Thankfully, there's Uber Eats, DoorDash, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, there's a gazillion others. And I think it shows the importance of that. So just first, straight off the bat, food delivery companies are absolutely rolling in money right now because of this. Mm-hmm. I know personally I've gotten Uber Eats far times too many. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have that, and then I think you have 
delivery of packages and mail. And I think there was Amazon, Amazon had a little bit of investment into kind of drone delivery. And I think they're really going to want to boost that up right now Mm -hmm. um, because the less hands you have touching anything being delivered to a customer, the better, the safer. And we're going to, we're going to realize that. And then of course, I think any company producing any type of medical, um, any, any type of medical supply, whether it's a ventilator, whether it's just a mask or shield, that's definitely going to be way up in the sky because obviously, even though we probably won't have another pandemic or anything any close to this, um, probably for another five to 10 years, even if it's as, as kind of close to the size of HIV, mm-hmm. swine flu, something kind of smaller, we still are going to see hospitals stocking up. I saw a news ad of just um, the hospital had basically an entire warehouse they had purchased for a scenario just like this. I mean, it was stocked to the ceiling of PPE and ventilators and everything they need. And I think that'll be a thing that we'll see every hospital have. And so just literally anything online, anything medical is going to be in the green for the future, I think. Yeah. Um, I think there's a few areas that are really going to boom. I mean, I think oil is obviously like a a whole different subject, but I think this is going to be huge for Tesla because, um, well, one, we're seeing a lot of the environment and the air quality change up um, in a lot of areas because people aren't on the roads as much. So I think this gives people... Uh, a bit of a different perspective on how clean air can actually be. So that might be a push for more um, clean travel and that sort of thing. So I think Tesla is going to get a huge boost there. And um, yeah, and another area is the healthcare. Um, There's going to be a whole lot of stocking. And this is just an example. Um, Bill Gates was saying in 2000, I think it was 2015, his TED talk, uh, that there's probably going to be something like this, but the government isn't putting enough money into it. Um, so I, I think that now they're probably going to do a lot more to uh, be prepared for this type of scenario. Um, so I think if you're in a healthcare business or healthcare uh, or PPE or, or um, medical supply company, I think that is a good space to be in now and, and going forward. Um, also, I've always said that it's the companies who can adapt the best that are going to do well. So whether you were in like retail um, or like physical brick and motor, um, I think that you, if you can adapt to more online sales or um, pickups, that sort of thing, uh, I think it's those people that are always going to do the best. For example, um, I think his name is Reed Hastings from Netflix. He started back when they were shipping out DVDs to people um, for for rentals, and that's how they got started. But then, and Blockbuster um, thought it was ridiculous when, when they started seeing, well, when Netflix started seeing a bit of a shift where people want to stream things online and more on-demand type of things instead of having to ship out DVDs, they went and uh, well, they started doing more of the on-demand and, and shipping, and then Blockbuster, which was way bigger than Netflix, was like, these guys have no chance, like, this is stupid that they're moving to this. But then Blockbuster stood no chance against Netflix when, when the tides really started changing. So oh, yeah. it's, and Reed Hastings was still an older guy back then. Usually older CEOs, they 
are more reluctant to change and, and that sort of thing. So I really give um, the props to him for that because it's much harder to yeah much harder to change when you're when you're comfortable and um, but yeah they, it was basically David versus Goliath. David was you went against Goliath, which was blockbuster and they it's pretty definitive that they won that. Um, so I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And you you touched on Tesla and com- uh, automotive adaptation. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to say, if you look at the automotive industry, I mean, I've kind of had the philosophy and argument that the dealership model is dead. I mean, yeah. even before it all happened, absolutely it's dead. And of all the automotive companies that had to adapt, Tesla had to adapt the least. Mm-hmm. Because already, nearly 100% of the sales were done online no dealership, they already had the ability instantly to flip a switch and do contactless delivery, which was amazing. It helped them continue the uh, delivery of the inventory that they had on hand because unfortunately their factory still had to shut down aside from Shanghai, but but they still had their feet in the water in Shanghai. First off, they're still making some money and they have that online resource. And I think we're going to see the dealership model start to fall here in the next four or five years when mm-hmm. we we kind of start to rebound from this and we start to understand that it's just too much to have our dealership and dealerships are struggling right now. We just went to look at a car the other day and I mean, we couldn't go inside. The guy said they're basically selling nothing and mm-hmm. they were struggling because they weren't prepared. Yeah, um, yeah, not being prepared, but also um, I think companies that have a lot of upfront and like like money that's stuck and committed for a while, people that are in long term like commercial leases, um, things that have a lot of upfront. I mean, before when the internet boom kind of came along in the late '90s um, slash early 2000s, the the big thing is to get into internet, it costs practically nothing because I mean, so, I mean to, to build something on the internet, it was all software and um, you know, there, there was no overhead. So it was super easy and you could work out of almost anywhere. You didn't necessarily need to have a, a big office rented out and, and whatever. And then also uh, there's some companies that were invested in real estate that kind of had different approaches and they started more flexible office spacing. So, I feel like those companies that had more of a mobile approach and were fast on their feet and weren't locked down to these big overhead expenses and were slow moving. So people that had more of a, a startup approach um, and, and were less bureaucratic about you know, less bureaucratic approach of uh, how they were doing business. I think those um, companies that are, that continue to be light on their feet, um, kind of like the startup, those are the ones that were able to adapt the quickest. And the, um, the car uh, dealership model has not really changed in a very long time. Um, super slow to evolve. And I mean, they should have seen something coming. They should have adapted to have more of a, of a different model to be able to adapt um, with the internet. So I don't feel too bad for, for them. Um, and you know, some, some people are gonna survive, but they're definitely gonna have to change and adapt for, for that to happen. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think businesses are one thing, but even looking at like the education sector, mm-hmm. schools and colleges, how are they gonna change is ridiculous. I know our local schools, what they're gonna be doing this fall is they don't think this is going to be gone by the fall. And so what we're going to have to do is literally we're going to have half and half in personal learning. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that'll actually stick. So mm-hmm. you'll have basically half full classrooms. If even 
everyone's spaced apart and that a lot of that will just be done from home because I think putting everyone in a situation where they're forced to kind of scrape away the excess mm-hmm. and they can only teach the essentials, they can only do what's absolutely necessary. And I think that applies to everything in this pandemic. It's just the essentials. And especially in education where teachers have had to cut down on anything that's not essential. And I think it'll be interesting to just see how that plays out, not only in the education sector, but just everywhere. Mm. You know, I thought that um, I I was almost certain that the next economic um, kind of collapse or next 2008 was going to be caused by the post-secondary student debt that was held, um, which, you know, in the past decade went from 300 uh, and something billion to uh, before for this, I think earlier this year was at $1.7 trillion. So a huge jump. And I was positive that by the way the markets were going and how people were going through these institutions and coming out and their moves after that, um, it just didn't really make sense. So I thought that this student debt that these people were getting themselves into that they they couldn't declare bankruptcy to get out of um, was not really a sustainable model. So I I was positive that that was going to be the thing that uh, takes it off, but apparently not. and you know, I think this this whole module is going to change because if people are going there to get educated and they're paying these types of prices, you would think that um, people would be able to, you know, if they're not able to find um, the employment that they went to the school to go for. I mean, obviously, some people go to a party and they they say they're they're just going to to get an education. But let's say they're going to get an education and um, they're coming out of there and they're not really finding the employment that they're looking for. Um, then I think that those people should at least have some sort of um, guarantee. But I mean, it's kind of like it's it's a it's a kind of a scam. Like people are going there, and obviously there's some people that that don't work hard. They they're lazy after or whatever, and they're not actually looking for anything. But if they're going there and they're actually not able to find anything after, um, because you know the school's models haven't changed to be able to adapt to what's actually going out in the market, then um, you shouldn't be able to to be stuck and not be able to to get out of it at all. You know. Yeah, I agree. And employment's, you know, very interesting right now because obviously we're hitting record unemployment levels that we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's pretty interesting. Even if you go through the drive through at McDonald's, what you see is they now have a limited menu. And my theory is, and I'm pretty confident in it, is that's it just limits the amount of people they have to have in the kitchen. And so I'm kind of curious to see if that'll actually stick. I mean, they're cutting away the non-essentials mm-hmm. and keeping what's absolutely necessary. And they've seen that it's worked. And so whether that'll actually stick will be fairly interesting to see after all this is kind of settled. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of companies that uh, can actually afford to keep some people on. Um, but it's just because of uncertainty. They don't know what the the near future will look like that they are letting go of some certain people. Uh, with that said, if um, they see some sort of return, then I, I think that they'd be willing to hire a lot of those people back. Um, but I think it'll, it'll give a it'll open people's eyes to the fact that um, they might have been very inefficient in some ways and by them having to tighten up a bit they see where there's inefficiencies in their organization so this might actually help some companies that 
uh, were able to stick it through, but um, they had major inefficiencies to just get more efficient and implement maybe more tech um, and just build a better organization as they get through this. So that could be interesting. But back to the education part, um, I think that we're going to be able to see some some positive changes because we haven't really seen any changes in the educational side of things for quite a while. I mean, we're talking like many decades and obviously the world has evolved um, outside of that. So I, I think we're going to be able to see some very positive changes in um, that process, which is going to be very good. Yeah. And I always try to take the approach of, even though it seems like the world is falling apart right now, I always try to look for, you know, what's, what's going to come out of this. That's good. And of course, it's not that hard to spot. I feel like some of the good things, like you mentioned, education, just better hygiene in general, cleaner mm-hmm. uh, environments, literally not only what we touch, but I mean, hopefully the environment stays cleaner as we go out of this. Um, yeah, I think as bad as it may seem right now, it may not be the worst thing that happened to our civilization. Yeah. Um, I think there's some things that you go through that seem, I mean, unless you really do crush the world, um, that seem very bad in the moment. But as time goes on, um, like, for example, if you live through World War Two at that or, you know, any of the world wars, but let's say you live through World War Two or even fought in World War Two you would have thought that would have been almost a terrible thing being uh, in, in that time. Um, but if you survived it and you were all good after, I think that really strains you and changes your character in a good way. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think, and you know, it's, I, I definitely believe that something good, multiple good things always come out of a negative situation, mm-hmm. uh, no matter how bad it, how bad it seems. Unless it's uh, fatal. <laughs> In which case, you know, um, but I mean, like, obviously, I don't think everyone's going to die or anything like that. So if, you know, if things are good and it's the economy recovers and that sort of thing, then I think it's going to be a huge eye opener. And a lot of people are going to do a lot of great things after. And it's just going to um, build uh, some people up. So I think that's cool. But into kind of the third and final area of the podcast, we're, t- we're going to talk about this simulation uh, conversation, which Elon tends to have all the time. So I think he was limiting or, or banning uh, conversations about AI and, and simulations. Um, so you were telling me you have a bit of a different view of uh, what's going on. And I'm super, I, I try to be as uh, open-minded as possible. So um I want to kind of learn about other people's perspectives and how they see things. So uh, do you want to tell me a bit about your perspective on this whole simulation deal? Sure. So how I view things is, um, I guess you could compare the simulation idea sort of kind of to a religion. I I don't know if you totally tie that to that kind of um, category, but that's where I'd put it personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not in the same kind of aspect as traditional religion. It's more of a modern kind of thing. But anyway, mm-hmm. I, I personally grew up in a very orthodox, Nazarene Christian ideology, and that's what I've been surrounded with my, with my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, currently, I actually I work part-time at a church. I'm a worship leader there. But of course, none of that would be in place right now if I didn't have a concrete belief. So there was nothing wrong with having total faith and something but i i i i'm curious enough that i always need facts i need like i'm not gonna 
give my life to something if I don't have full belief full in it. Yeah, full yeah. evidence that you know that it's the that, thing that it's legit. Absolutely, and so I've. Well, I guess one good thing that's come out of this kind of quarantine time while I've been stuck at home, I've been reading a lot more. Mm-hmm. And so I've been definitely reading into this. And there's a lot of really good books out there that kind of talk about it. And I think per- I personally, it's my kind of conviction that Christianity is so misunderstood mm-hmm. in modern age. And I, I don't blame that on anyone but Christians. Um, I... I fully portray the belief that the single greatest cause of atheism in the world is Christians that kind of that, that believe while they're in the church, but when they leave the church, they're a totally different person and they like turn against everyone. And it's like, mm. you were just in church. What are you doing? <laughs> and so it's, you know, I, I definitely go against that. I definitely, I mean, I read into what I believe. I rip, I rip it apart. I mean, I have, gone ham on every possible atheist argument I feel like just finished a 400 page book I don't think I could ever read that much again in my life <laughs> but so I mean yeah it's interesting it's interesting to dive into it and I just I don't yeah like believing in something without concrete evidence which is why of course I believe in this and maybe not something like you believe in where it's um, simulation um, I think that's a super interesting perspective, and I'm the same way in terms of I kind of have to dive in and see, you know, what I feel is concrete proof or enough evidence for me to believe in that direction. Um, the only reason I've shied away from religion was that I felt like there were so many different variations and so many different religions. I mean, there are a few prominent ones, but I mean, overall, there's something like 12,000 religions and I, and I, and there's things that overlap in in a lot of them, but, um, I just felt that how could I be certain that, you know, all these people believe that theirs is the truth, but how could it be certain? And, and let's, let's say, um, yeah, I, I mean, there was just so much out there that I, I couldn't be certain that, that there was, a, I just couldn't be totally certain about, about one. So that's the only reason I shied away from it. Um, but there's also that, let's say that um, there's a God. Um, if you were to not know to believe in that thing, then if it came time to die, you wouldn't be sent to like a hell or like a, that sort of thing. Um, unless, you know, if you had good intentions and that sort of thing, then I don't think you would end up in a bad scenario. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, and I totally understand your idea on just the amount of religions mm-hmm. and even within, you know, Christianity, there's like 120 different denominations of churches, which I, I mean, even I, I don't, I'm not a fan of labeling myself as a Nazarene because to me it should be you're a Christian. And I mean, if you, none of the words in the Bible should be, should be twisted. I mean, it's fairly straightforward. It's like, it's like, it's if you ordered like a 3d printer and mm-hmm. you got the instructions, but then you didn't like how I, if you didn't like the instructions it gave you, so you decide to twist it and then all of a sudden your 3d printer looks different than someone else's. That makes no sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, everyone should be following the same guidelines 
And to me, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that it's broken this far off. And of course, it doesn't just stop at Christianity. This is with every religion. Everyone wants to stick their foot in the door and kind of make their own changes. And whether they're pushing an agenda or whatever it be, it's, it's really unfortunate that it's kind of been torn apart that much. Hmm. Um, my approach uh, has been slightly different in terms of uh, like when I look at technology and that sort of thing, I also see that if things can advance, so supposedly the world is very old, but if in this little, um, you know, 50, 60, 75 year window, we've had such incredible progress with uh, the advance of technology and virtual reality and those sorts of of tech, those sorts of things coming up um, and improving very well. What's to say that if uh, the world we know is um, much longer than we think, then why? What's to say that we aren't living within um, some already, like, let's say there's somebody, there was something before us and they made their own um, kind of version of a, a VR but for for them and we are just living inside of that like i i feel like there's like there's no way to really know but the if we're looking at the the probability like what's the chance that that's not the the case like anything could have happened before why isn't it that maybe somebody else decided to make their own advanced game and it gets better to the point where we think this is actually real yeah and i i i actually totally understand that I'll be honest, if I was not this far into my beliefs, if I don't have a concrete foundation into what I believe, I would totally, I mean, be all for that because it, to me on paper, it sounds really interesting, but at the same time, it just, even though, yeah, I get the idea of, um, well, there's, we've come this far, so like, like, what's to say that someone else hasn't come this far before us and here we are as a result of their creation, mm. but, like I said, you know, it's it's just my personal belief that, I mean, like I said, I read a ridiculously long, actually two books um, on just evidence after evidence after evidence of my belief, taking on every possible argument basically in existence today. And I just, I have to put my faith in something with concrete, historical, scientific evidence. Um, you know, no matter what I feel like, even though this theory might sound kind of interesting, and it definitely does. I've actually talked to some of my guys at work about it who were also like me in this situation, but it's, I mean, it's its kind of one of those things, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, it's called the last Thursdayism. It's, no one actually believes it, but it's this idea that everything was created last Thursday, and mm. your memories of anything that took place before then were also created before then, or created on Thursday. Yeah. And, it's one of those things where you can never disprove it. It's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't heard of that, um, term like the last Thursday thing, but I've thought of that before. Whereas like anything, like everything that I know and we think is real could have just been created like a second ago. And like, it's all part of like, that's just that our previous thoughts are just like part of the, the way it's made. So we actually think there's previous past, but it just started right now, you know? Or yeah, our, whole, our whole view of like time might not actually exist. That might just be like some illusion that we actually believe. 
Right, exactly. And I mean, it's totally rabbit hole you could get into. But, you know, it's just, for me, it's concrete evidence and um, just, man, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> it's but, all good. Like, yeah, like I kind of said. And, yeah, I lost my train of thought. Give me a second to think. You can. Oh, good. Um, yeah, I think it's super interesting. There's a lot of, I mean, there's so many possibilities. I think that is the only, I don't have super concrete beliefs in, I mean, I feel the the whole simulation thing can, um, there's so many possibilities, any, yeah. It depends how deep you want to go on, on a certain area, but I just feel like my life, I want to focus on other things. So yeah, maybe I felt the importance of knowing or coming to a conclusion wasn't as important because I mean, I'm not sure how it would have impacted my life, but I know it's a bit naive in some ways, but yeah, I just wanted to focus on, on other things and whatever happens happens in this sense kind of thing. As long as you, I follow kind of uh, solid morals or ethics that that don't harm people uh, i'll probably be fine in some sense you know yeah F- find my train of thought and so mm-hmm. i guess what um what my kind of view is like i mean let's let's think about i think of life kind of as like a general like return on investment kind of thing whether it's mm-hmm. a small decision or a big decision so for me it's like return on investment with believing in a christian god so on my side of it, if I was right and I believed, mm-hmm. I go to heaven, great, it's all fine and dandy. But if I don't, then I just blip into nothingness and I guess I just wasted a little bit of time, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I get on the other hand of it, if you look as an atheist side, if they were right in that they, you know, they didn't want to believe or they didn't believe in general with not enough evidence, it's... Mm-hmm. Well, on their side of it, if they're wrong, well, they didn't waste, I don't know, a couple weeks, days of their life. I don't know, however much time they spend going against it. Mm-hmm. But on the opposite side, if they're wrong, depending on what religion you believe in, mm-hmm. they're probably not on the good side of the equation. Mm-hmm. And so what I ask most atheists, and I'm not asking you this personally, this is just a general kind of question, is mm-hmm. do you, I mean, do you want to be wrong? I mean, <laughs> Do you want to see your family after you die? Do you want to have a perfect life? Do you, and it seems so hard to grasp because we can experience that here, but mm-hmm. is that something you want? I mean, do you want to be wrong? And so I, I, I watched a guy who kind of explained that in depth and I thought that was a really interesting kind of argument. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, that's also another thing. Let's say that you let's say you didn't believe in depending on which religion that means you don't get to have the best case scenario or or whatever happens um let's say you go to like hell but i I think to myself if you know i I didn't do the right things and that's where i end up like i know it's kind of messed up but what would like how bad could it be like you're already dead (laughs) you know what what, how far can it get so if if you take like the biblical perspective on it Mm -hmm. The, the, I mean, the definition of how I, I wouldn't say it's been totally altered, but what it is, the Bible describes it in tears. So, I mean, if you were a god-awful person like Adolf Hitler, who was a total, you know, atheist, he didn't believe, killed God knows how many people, a lot. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, 
the Bible describes it as people like that go to the depths of hell. And I mean, if you're an awesome person and you, but you didn't believe, you did everything right except for believing, you're going to be, I mean, I guess if you want to go on the same metaphor with the top of hell, I mean, you're mm-hmm. not. But if you are already dead, like if, if you're not going to, like, do you die further or is it like that's kind of the end game kind of thing? Like, I don't know well, the narrative totally. The, I mean, the Bible describes it. And I'm going to take the Bible for what it is. Mm-hmm. It describes it as um, a lake of fire. And it sounds strange. But I mean, I guess I, I don't get why people bring up the argument like it's unfair that a God would condemn people to a fiery hell if they don't believe. I guess to me, it's like, well, you have 100 years to make a decision. He's given you a book of evidence. And even with that, you can still look back and find a lot. Mm-hmm. And why why wouldn't you want a God that makes moral decisions on what's just and what's unjust? Mm-hmm. I guess that argument kind of falls to pieces for me. Mm-hmm. But, um, back to the thing, though. Like, if you are, let's say you go to the worst place in hell, but, like, if you're not going to die again, then that's, like, the final destination. I mean, yeah, maybe, you know, you, like, burn forever or whatever, but then... Like that's it. Like you're unless you don't get to see your family or something like that. But yeah, I, don't know. I mean, I guess if your family all kind of sucked, then you're all just gonna have to hang out and not <laughs> you're just chilling. Fire. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll find out. And I guess on the other hand of that, like the, I mean, I guess the illustration of heaven has been really skewed too. It's like, I, I mean, it's just the inverse of hell. Mm-hmm. Heaven is not. I'll tell you what heaven is not. Heaven is not angels on clouds playing harps. That is not what heaven is. I don't know how that illustration ever came about. I mean, the body that you live in now, that's the body you're going to have in heaven. And just because it's a world without sin does not mean that there's not, doesn't mean you can't get sad. I mean, getting sad is not a sin. That's not a result of sin. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I guess looking at both sides of the equation to me, it just seems fairly logical. Mm Mm-hmm. So is it like you have the same body, but like, are you on the, like a different planet? Like, um, so it's, I guess you have to look at it within two realms. So mm-hmm. God, the Christian God does not exist within the bounds of time or space or that kind of thing. And it's not, it's, it's crazy to think about because we can't understand that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if you keep an open mind, what it is, is, God, in the last book of the Bible, God promises that one day he's going to come back to earth and establish a new heaven and a new earth, um, demolishing all sin, basically. And so, no, I mean, it, it's not really another planet. I I wouldn't, th- I would think that it's just kind of a... A purified world. Yeah, I mean, basically, it's, if you look back to Genesis, it would be like the garden. I think... I haven't, I haven't done a ton of looking into this, but kind of like I said, it's it's not going to be a perfect world, I feel like. Mm-hmm. I feel like perfect has been skewed within that kind of view where I don't think we're not going to cry or have bad days because that's not exactly a result of sin. I mean, sin is just going against the basic, very loose and very simple guidelines that God gave us. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, heaven would just be our world without sin, which is really hard to imagine because sin has literally shaped where we stand today. Mm, interesting. Um, 
I think we're going to wrap it up there. Is there anything else you want to dive into? No, if that's good for you, I'm, I'm all set. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for coming on. Tell the people where they can find you. Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter. Let me make sure I'm correct. My mm-hmm. Twitter handle is going to be at K one gray, C A L E N G R A Y. It's kind of a weird spelling. That's why I make sure it's all good. It's probably going to be in the title of the podcast, but that's where you can find me. So thanks for having me on Jeremy. I appreciate it. Of course. Sounds good. I'll stay on for uh, a minute or two after I end it, but um, I'll, I'll make sure to leave the, um, your info for your contact and that sort of stuff in the description of the podcast. Awesome. Sounds good. And that'll be all for this episode of the future podcast. As always, I want to thank you so much for listening. You can always find the latest episode of the podcast on jeremyblurice.com or uh, on the multiple platforms. You can give us a follow um, like on Spotify. If you have a suggestion for a guest or a topic, you can go ahead and tweet at me. Uh, My username is at J-E-R-E-M-Y-B-O-U-L-E-R-I-C-E. Or you can email me at jeremy at newcrowd.co.